Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Today we kick off Blitz Week, conversations with some of the most popular guests over the last year, and my first guest was certainly one of the biggest by far, Anthony Scarmucci. The Mooch, as we know him, is best known for a short-lived stint as White House Communications Director, but there's more to him than politics. He's the founder of the hedge fund Skybridge Capital, and you may have seen him making the media rounds lately talking about Bitcoin. Anthony, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Well, congratulations on everything, Jeffrey, and uh, thank you for having me. This is great. You you know, in talking with you right pre-interview and right now, you just seem a little bit more calmer than the last time I talked to you. Are you, are you settled down or what, what's the what's the deal? Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, it could be the fact that I'm, like I told you, I'm in my 1981 champion shorts that I never threw out from phys ed class. You know, they were stuffed in my locker. Uh, probably had mold on them for two and a half years, but now I'm yeah. wearing them. Maybe, maybe I love that. Maybe there's enzymes in those gym shorts that have got me relaxed, Jeff. Are those cha- are the champion shorts coming back? Is that the kind of like the members jacket? No, members jackets coming back? I, I, honestly I honestly don't think they're coming back. I think they never left. Okay, that's my point, my brother. Uh, there you go. That's good. Hey, so you really do you really think Bitcoin's going to reach 100k by the end of the year? Well, I mean, you know, I said that on CNBC three weeks ago, Joe Kernan was aghast at the notion of that. It was trading probably around 50,000 a coin. Uh, then I checked my Twitter feed and the Bitcoiners are upset with me. They said I was too bearish. Um, but I do think that, yes. And it's a combination of a number of different things, but primarily the acceleration rate of users. We're at about 110 million users right now. There's no reason why we can't be at 200 million users by the end of the year. And if you really study Medcalf's law, you understand the proposition of measuring value off the growth of a network. Uh, yes, I do think it could be at $100,000 a coin by the end of the year. And remember, uh, Amazon did things like that. Google did things like that. Facebook, anything that's arcing pursuant to Metcalf's law uh, can increase exponentially in value over time. And I think Bitcoin, uh, frankly, the decentralization aspects of Bitcoin allow it to accelerate faster. And Jeffrey, this uh, got to a trillion dollars in 12 years that outpaced Amazon 21 years and outpaced Microsoft and Apple 40 plus years. So, um, yes, I do think that. And I think the problem with Bitcoin is that for the people that don't understand it, uh, they're scared of it. And when things are too good to be true, we're taught to run away from them in the investment world. But let me show you something quickly, something that's too good to be true. See this? Too good to be true. This right. phone can eat every one of the books in this library that I sit in. And then it has room for music videos. It has room for music. It has room for my photographs, films of the kids. Uh, this is a miniaturization device and a Pac-Man. Uh, it's too good to be true, but yet here it is in my hand. Amazon stock price, $10,000 the day of its IPO. If you invested May 15, 1997, it's worth $21 million today. So there are things in our society that are too good to be true that are actually true. 
I love that the the law that you're referring to because the same thing applies, by the way, to C-suite radio. We grew by 450 percent last year just in the listeners. Same thing. Too good to be true. It's the law of networks. I'm telling everyone right now, you got to be a media company. You got to be out there, create a community, create a network, and get it out there. And that that's that's proven to be true with Bitcoin. And and I would say this to you: you have exceptional quality programming. That's from your intellectual capital. What yeah. we both know, it's relatively cheap to produce today. Imagine doing C-suite network in 1971, uh, where you would have had to have gone into a radio station. You wouldn't have had this ability to reach people over social media. Um, and so fast forward, you are in a relatively costless situation so that the things that matter, Jeffrey, are your intellectual capital, the content of your guests. And that's why you're accelerating with this level of growth. Congratulations. Thank you. Well, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. Then you're sp- it's spot on. I mean, you'd get great, great content. Great, great listeners, great listeners get great content. And by the way, you put those together, you get great advertisers. That's my that's my formula right there. So no, as an investor. Yeah, it's simplicity. I make it real simple and easy and then just and lay it out there. And I think that's why, quite frankly, for a lot of people, Bitcoin's been just a, a real positive thing. I, you know, I, lo- I love my own shares. I've got to say I'm, a, you know, a, I own some. I own some of the other Ethereum and some of the other uh, coins that are out there. I'm an investor on boards as well. So I'm a real believer. And uh, and it's sticking and then going away. It's not going away ever. So as an investor, what else do you see coming back after COVID? <laughs> Well, you're going to touch off a boom. I mean, you're you're experiencing a stock market boom, but you're going to have a steep acceleration in GDP. You know, Goldman's calling for an 8% growth. You could easily get to 10. You could have that kind of a snapback. People are ready for a post-COVID environment, a post-pandemic environment. Uh, you're going to have an acceleration on the vaccines. I'm saddened by the disinformation out there related to the vaccines. Yeah. Uh, I would encourage your viewers and listeners to read Code Breakers uh, by Walter Isaacson. It came out last weekend. I finished it over the weekend. Brilliant exposition of what these mRNA technologies are, why they are not going to kill you or disfigure you or genetically mutate you and all this garbage misinformation. You know, not to make it political, but Donald Trump has told people not to get vaccines, but yet he went and got himself vaccinated. Yeah. So this is sort of the thing, you know, Dr. Fauci saying, you know, President Trump could be very helpful if he got out there and encouraged his people to buy the vaccine. But then they couldn't adopt all of this nonsensical conspiracy theory and all of this sort of uh, nonsense that puts these people in a frenzy. But if everybody accepted that vaccine, you could be eight to 15 percent GDP growth, frankly. And uh, yeah, so what's coming back? The industrials, obviously. Anything related to manufacturing, consumer purchasing vehicles, all of that stuff is going to be on the rise. And just quickly, I'll take you back to 1921. You had the uh, end of the pandemic, uh, the Spanish flu pandemic, and then you had three major technologies affecting the world, something called the horseless carriage the electrification of all the rural areas of the United States, which led to the growth of all those appliances. And then you had the uh, mass telecommunication and the laying down of inter-Atlantic cable, inter-Pacific cable, et cetera. Uh, And you had this boom in the 20s. If you had the right monetary policy, you never would have gotten the depression, but there you go. And you have that going on right now. AI, uh, you know, obviously the introduction of 5G 
And I'm not talking about the 5G that's on your phone, which is BS. I'm talking about truly robust 5G, which is a quantum ahead of 3 and 4G. It will totally transform the way we do things. And by the way, last point, the pandemic has weirdly had a silver lining to it. We're doing way more uh, off of Zoom. We're doing way more remotely than we ever thought possible. It accelerated those trends and it's freed up time for people. Uh, and that time will go into leisure and travel. So I think those industries will have a huge pickup as well. So last time I interviewed you, you were in your office. Now it looks like you're in your home office, right? I'm in my home office. I mean, yeah. do you envision us? Do you, do you envision going back? Yeah, well, I'm going back on April 1st. I, I've gotten vaccine one. I have the second vaccine scheduled on March 26th. Um, I'm assuming that most people will be vaccinated by May 1st. At least that's what the administration is suggesting. And so I think people can actually go back to the office, you know, let's call it by mid-June. Yeah. And again, there'll be COVID protocol and COVID safety protocols in place and we'll rotate people in and out of the office, but I think it'll be good for our culture. I think we've done a lot in the last year from home remotely. Uh, but I think there's nothing like being uh, in person, frankly. And so I think we want to do more of that. And so, yes, I do envision going back to the office. I'm also a congenital salesperson. And so I expect to be back on the road traveling and meeting people uh, and you'll recall, I do these uh, live events around the world, uh, the SALT yep. conference. We have one scheduled in September here in New York City at the Javits Center. I believe that will happen with COVID protocols in place and safety protocols. We're also going to do one in December in Abu Dhabi uh, at the uh, Emirates Palace. We did one in 2019, which was hugely successful. We're expecting a huge crowd in 2020, a vaccinated crowd, I might add. Um, and so I'll be back out on the road meeting people, uh, uh, talking about our investments, our money management business, our live uh, content business. Hopefully I can get you on uh, my podcast. Let's do it. Let's make that happen. Now let's take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Hey, everybody. We're back and we're live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook. This is Jeffrey Hazel with All Business on C-Suite Radio, the world's largest business podcast network this week. Hey, we're doing a big blitz, bringing back some of our best guests from last year, the, the number ones. And of course, at the top of that list, Anthony Scarmucci, best known as the leader and founder of the hedge fund Skybridge Capital. Now we're talking about all things Bitcoin, the marketplace and everything else. Hey, uh, Mooch, a couple of uh, weeks ago, Yep. Yeah, there was a there was a lot of controversy, you know, with GameStop and everything else. What do you think about apps like Robinhood? Is it good for the investment community? Yes, I think it's good for the investment community with a caveat. You know, when someone's telling you that you're getting something for free, you know, that age old thing in social media and networking, well, then you're probably the the actual product itself. And so they're selling the data. They're selling the order flow. And I think once you understand that, if you're willing to have that as the compensation for getting the free trades, I think it's totally fine. I think Robin Hood's mistake, and I think Vlad, the CEO and founder of Robinhood, said it honestly. He didn't assess what was going on on Reddit and some of these messaging uh, situations where there were bee swarms of individual investors attacking uh, individual short stock positions. He didn't have the capital. Uh, and yeah. so he's I mean, not, he got, his own, he got his own margin call. 
Exactly. So if you're yeah. if you're Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley, that happens. It's an unexpected event. You pick up the phone, you call the Fed. Hello, I need $3 billion. They wire it to you and you have zero interest payments on that. When you meet and clear all the trades, you can send it back. In his case, he couldn't do that. He's not a bank. So he had to do the only thing he could do to save his business, which was to stop the buying of those securities. People thought that that was a scam. He was doing something to benefit the big guys. All he was doing was following the margin call requirements. Now, why didn't he say that day one? I think he was afraid, frankly, that if he said it the way I just explained it, many of his customers would say, okay, wait a minute, you don't have enough margin call here. I'm nervous and start moving to TD Ameritrade or E-Trade or other places. So he was trying to manage the information. He would have been way better off just explaining it to people. I realized it on day one. I tried to call the guys at Barstool to explain it to them. I couldn't get in touch with them. Uh, People overreacted. Uh, Robinhood is not a nefarious group of people. They are trying to provide a service for the smaller investor, uh, but it does come with caveats and it does come with costs. You remember that there was a couple of years ago, maybe probably 10 years ago, there was all this UPS commercial where it showed somebody using UPS Circle and there all the people were like, just open up the business and they were looking at their website with orders. And all of a sudden their orders went like one, two, and they're celebrating like, we got our first right, order. Right, right, and all right. of a sudden it went through the roof like that. And then it was like, oh shit, now what do we do? And of course, UPS was saying, glad we're here. But in that case, I think that's what, right, listen, what happened to the guy? Yeah, it's a high class problem. It's abating yeah. itself now. But I, I do I do like it because, but here's the thing. People don't like me saying this stuff, but here's the thing. There is never going to be parity between a $20 billion hedge fund and an individual in his Bobby socks trading from his basement on his Robinhood app uh, using his smartphone for market data. And if people are upset about that, if Maxine Waters is upset about that or Elizabeth Warren, I'm sorry, just the way the world works. I would love to beat LeBron James in a one-on-one basketball game uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. I just don't think it's likely. I don't know. Hey, even if Mooch, they give those, those shorts, back, with those uh, shorts, you got oh, the shorts. I, got, I got the. I certainly have the right shorts, but I need those. Uh, I need those. Uh, those hovercraft sneakers from Back yep. to the Future. You know, my yep. point being is that you know people decry the fact that the pro has an advantage over the individual. Uh, well, that's been the case, and it will be the case. Life is unfair. Okay, okay. And you can work hard to make life fair, but there's certain axiomatic facts about life that are not going to change. Let me ask you a question. There's been a lot of headlines recently about people who are living in these higher tax blue states like California, moving themselves or their businesses to lower red tax states like South Dakota, like to Texas or to maybe, you know, even Puerto Rico. I'm seeing a lot of guys. And by the way, I'm seeing a lot of folks, a lot of friends of mine, they're in Abu Dhabi. They're in, in Dubai, they're in, they're in, and they're moving to Bali, they're moving to other places. What do you, do you think that's a good move financially? Well, it, it's probably a good move financially in terms of the incremental marginal tax. And so if you're in New York, it's 11 or 12%. If you made a million dollars, $120,000 a year, it's reasonable. Imagine a guy making $100 million a year, it's 12 million. The numbers start to add up. But as I've said to my wife, I'm a New Yorker through and through. I will be here until we shut the lights out. I'm not moving to Florida permanently or a low-tax state. I'd like to be here as a business person and try to help solve some of the problems that New York has. And I think it's a wonderful place. And I'll I'll point out 
that the migration in California is somewhat misfounded. Some of people have left. A lot of people have frankly migrated out of the northern part of California into SoCal. And, you know, you got to ask yourself, are these hard left policies, are they working for the inner cities? And the answer is uh, decidedly no. I mean, I don't know what the theory is about having human defecation on the streets and teeming uh, homeless and tent populations in these cities. It it forces people that are in the middle class to reconsider the quality of their life and their living standards. And so Mayor Bloomberg had solutions for that. He's sort of a left-leaning guy, but he's not a radical left-leaning guy. I'm just not sure why we're going in that direction. But I, I think it does make good economic sense. Uh, but then you're not in New York City. You're not in the action. You're not where things are happening. And so for me, I'm staying here. I'm staying put. And I told my wife it's a responsibility of mine and hers, frankly, to make enough money where I can pay those taxes. And can I just say this? I think this is important for people. When I was close to Trump and he brought up the salt tax deduction issue with me as it was being formalized, I said, that's going to be a huge mistake. And he said, well, why is that? I said, because these port cities, they create lots of economic innovation and they are a fountain place for immigration. Whether you like immigration or not, it's been very beneficial to the United States and its economy. But these port cities need higher taxes because you need a robust safety net and a robust public education system to help process all these people. And so you should be giving the benefit of that salt tax deduction. Moreover, if you look at the money coming out of the coffers of individuals in California or New York, and then the percentage that goes back to them, they're always imbalanced, uh, meaning more money is going to Washington from New York than New York is taking out of Washington. Same for California. And you're going to, you're going to cripple the economy by doing that. It's going to set off a reverse domino effect. And by the way, before the pandemic, it was doing that, Jeff. The migration that you saw, we lost 400,000 people in New York as a result of that stuff. It didn't necessarily benefit those states. Marginally, it did. Uh, But you want New York and California and Boston, these great port cities, if you will, to to have this robust infrastructure. So to me, I think we made a mistake with the salt tax deductions. I'm not just saying that as a blue state, or I'm saying that as an economist. Yeah, and those port states have always been great gems for us to be able to show off for the rest of the world. San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York, Newark. I mean, Miami, when you look at that, and a lot of lot of commerce is coming into those cities. Hey, speaking of commerce, let me well, take Miami's a Miami's gotten it right, by the way. So I interviewed... Uh, I interviewed Mayor Francis Suarez uh, two weeks ago. He's got the lowest per capita homeless population of all the great cities. Uh, Which is amazing, given it's got the best weather of all the cities that I just mentioned, Mm -hmm. too. Let me take a quick break. We'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. Everybody, we're back live casting right here on LinkedIn and Facebook as we're bringing you all business with Jeffrey Hazen here on C-Suite Radio. Got Anthony Scarmucci is with me, Skybridge Capital. We're talking a little bit of uh, the economy, a little bit of Bitcoin. And now, of course, I got to talk a little bit of politics. You've been doing the rounds expressing your surprise about the Republicans not supporting the one point nine trillion American rescue plan. Why are they opposing it? 
Well, they think it's good politics. They think uh, that uh, it galvanizes their base, uh, but they're hypocrites because they they went in for a one point nine trillion dollar tax cut that went most mostly to wealthy people. The one point nine trillion dollar stimulus is going mostly to middle and lower income people. Uh, but yeah, they they think that that's helping them, but they're the biggest hypocrites ever, and they're the most profligate spenders ever. So now all of a sudden, with Joe Biden in the presidency, they're going to pretend that they're uh, hawks on the deficit. It's a bunch of nonsense. They spent eight trillion dollars in four years in deficit spending under the Donald Trump administration. And I'll, I'll tell you something that Trump understood about the right: the right is social conservatives but they are actually fiscal liberals. Okay. They want all of those goods and services, all of those benefits. You know, the tea party has that placard, get your government hands off my Medicare. Uh, Oh, excuse me. That is a government program. Oh, I didn't realize that. Get your hands off it. You know, the point being is that there's a lot of misinformation out there and a lot of lies. And so I love the country. I've taken a lot of heat from people. People throw eggs and tomatoes at me because of my political opinions. I actually could care less. Uh, I think it's important to explain to people what the truth is. The truth is about the vaccines. The truth is about the nonsensical conspiracy theories. The truth about what we need to do to fix the country, as opposed to these uh, saccharine political slogans that people are using to divide the country and to create this tribal effect in our citizenry. And I don't like it at all. We should be Americans first, as opposed to America first. We should be Americans first and think about how we're going to unify ourselves and make ourselves closer to each other than this nonsense that these politicians are spoon feeding people. Amen. Amen. Americans first. I like that. Whether you're Democrat like me or Republican like yourself. I mean, and there's room. Well, on I don't know sides. if I'm a Republican anymore, Jeffrey, because really? You know, this is like a radicalized party now. It's become a personality cult. It's been a party that uh, some of these people actually supported the destruction of our democracy and the potential seditious insurrection. And, you know, they were killing people on the steps of the Capitol, inside the Capitol building uh, on January 6th. So we got to just stop for a second. You had the American president who, in my mind, is a domestic terrorist organizer uh, was really trying to create an insurrection so that he could stay in power. Republicans are up against it. Uh, the demography is moving against them. They have tired and stale ideas. If they don't recreate themselves and re-engineer themselves, they're not going to get there the way they think through voter suppression and through laws that stop people that are black and brown from voting. Okay, Stacey Abrams, who, by the way, Stacey Abrams should be running the Mets. Stacey, I don't know if you're listening to Jeffrey's <laughs> podcast, but I want to go back to the World Series. I'm wearing my Met bandage. Stacey, could you please join the Met organization as its GM? Okay, because nobody knows how to fix things like Stacey Abrams. And she boxed out all those redneck Republicans in Georgia uh, and surprised them with unbelievable, staggering turnout uh, where black and brown people, frankly, were willing to wait online for 12 hours yeah, to amazing. cast their vote. And so the Republicans are with these tired Southern strategy ideas, these uh, voter exclusion ideas. And while I am all about 
pro-business policies and common sense management of a city. I am not about uh, suppressing people to vote. Let them vote and let's reach a consensus among our people and what we need to do to fix our society as opposed to this nonsense that the Republicans are serving. Hey, got one minute left, one minute left. I want to go back to your 11 days in the Trump administration. Any regrets about taking that job and anything that was a big, the biggest learning you had? Well, thank you for saying 11 days. Some people say 10, Jeff, free, and it really pisses me off because it hurts my feelings. I mean, why shortchange me? But Exactly. But, Give me know, the extra day, but, brother. But, but yeah, and on that 11th day, I got my ass fired. So, I mean, that was a pretty important day, I thought. But, but you know, listen, listen, it's not the first time you got fired, I'm sure. Well, right. It's not my first or last no, time I got either. fired before yeah. that. I got fired. Yeah. Sure, I've been fired more than once. But yeah, here's what I would say. I don't have any regrets. I learned so much about the system, the government. Uh, I was inside the White House for 11 days, flew Air Force One three times. I was really trying to help President Trump. Obviously, I was unsuccessful at doing that. Uh, For your younger listeners, I did something really stupid. I said something to a reporter that I trusted. My bad. The guy outed me. Be accountable for your mistakes. I've never blamed anybody for my firing other than myself. I own that firing. My fault. Deserved to be fired. Let's move on. Uh, that's uh, learning lesson number one. Learning lesson number two: get over yourself. You know, you know, you got to learn to forgive yourself in life. If you're a C-suite network person and you've made a mistake, don't dwell on it. I don't get up in the morning, kick myself in the pants, and say, "Wow, I did something stupid in the White House, got myself fired." You know, go forward. Don't look in the back. And then the third thing is. Uh, I think it's made me more humble. I think it's made me more psychologically minded about what's going on in our society. And for those things, Jeffrey, I'm very grateful. Those are great learnings. Good stuff. Mooch, always a pleasure having you on the show. I'll, I gotta, I'll come I'm, to your my podcast. next. If you invite me back, I'm wearing a, mo- I'm going to out mafia you with a you mafia. Do that? Yes. Look, I, I, I know. I, I, I have like- wardrobe jealousy right now. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be packing some heat. And a mafioso suit, if you invite me but back. You know what? This is this is what I always, you know, when I put this jacket on, I call it my Jesse Jackson suit. Remember that? Yeah, like Jesse, sure. I remember. Jesse yeah, always exactly. looked good. Jesse always looked good. He always had pinstripes on. He was like one of those I kind remember, of dressers. I remember that. You you look yeah. like you look like my uh my uncle Sal, actually, in that suit. Okay. God bless you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. Hey, right, pleasure having you in all business. Can't wait to see you again. Thank you. Same here. God bless you guys. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. And I tell you what I learned is what he said at the very end, get over yourself. You know, you're a C-suite executive, you're going to make mistakes. There's no doubt about that. And don't let it hold you back. Don't let it just sit there. That's just something that happened. By and large, as I've said before, many times, no one died. Move on. That's going to happen in your business. You know, people say, hey, what's the biggest mistake? I don't know. I haven't done it yet. You're going to make a lot of them, folks. And you just have to get Get over it and move on. That's a great learning right here on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel on C-Suite Radio. Don't forget, tell your friends. Can't wait to have you listen to us again. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.